Hello and welcome back to Efficiency Optimized, Unlocking the Full Potential of Multiple Impacts, where we try to create a narrative about multiple benefits of energy efficiency and trying to connect the dots between the theoretical concept of multiple benefits and really what it means in everyday life. This podcast is hosted by the MECAD project, aims to estimate the multiple impacts of energy efficiency using a free, easy to use online tool called the MECAD tool. I'm Frederick Berger from Fraunhofer ISI, and I'll be your host of today. In today's episode, we will discuss global and local pollutants and how energy efficiency affects them, uh, also regarding the health effects that follow up. And I'll be discussing this topic with Fabian Wagner from IASA, who has far more knowledge than I do in this topic. And I think this topic is going to be really relevant uh, for, well, the audience. Hi everyone, uh, today in our series uh, from the MECAP project, where we look at the social, environmental and economic impacts of energy efficiency, we will be looking at global and local emittance and see how they affect our everyday lives. Also taking into account that they might uh, work differently or affect differently the different governance levels. So for instance, the local level, the national level or the EU level. Our guest today is Fabian Wagner. He is with IASA, the International Institute for Applied Systems Analysis. Great to have you on board today. Yeah, hi, Frederick. Thanks for, for having me. Um, glad to join you. Sure thing. So tell us a little bit about you. So why are you exactly the right guest to answer this, those questions today? Well, first and foremost, um, I'm part of the MECAT project, and I'm kind of there, the expert on air pollution and greenhouse gases. Um, my interest for a long time has been the impacts of air pollution, and especially also the regulatory aspects of air pollution. How can you regulate um, air pollution at the EU level? And we're doing a lot of work for the EU um, in that regard. I've also worked on um, methods for inventorying emissions. I worked for the IPCC some 20 years ago to develop these methods. And more recently, I've also taught at Princeton University on energy and the environment. And I'm particularly interested in sort of how things are, uh, how they come together and how they work together. So if you like, I'm interested in systems perspectives on to environmental challenges, on the broader perspectives, and on studying synergies and trade-offs between different courses of action. Well, that's, uh, that's quite the spectrum in that regard. So um, yeah, let's get into it. So Fabian, to start off, uh, maybe... Can you dive in into the question of what are the differences between global emittance and local pollutants? Sure. Um, the main difference between local pollutants and global pollutants is their atmospheric lifetime, how long they stay in the atmosphere before they get washed out or chemically react to into something else. So for greenhouse gases, they're relatively uh, inert, so they don't react very fast. And they stay in the atmosphere for decades, sometimes for centuries. Um, and they are responsible for these long-term changes in the, in the climate system. The local pollutants, they get emitted, and then they only stay, into the, the, in, they stay only in the atmosphere for a relatively short time, days to weeks, sometimes just hours. And uh, in these hours or days, they get transported only a certain distance away from the source un, until they disappear. So the local pollutants are local because they disappear before they can actually become global. And the global ones are just long-lived and they, they 
have then a global um, impact. So generally, uh, as soon as we combust any kind of fuel, uh, we'll have uh, greenhouse gas emissions uh, being created, but as well, we'll have a lot of different local pollutants, which can also affect our health. Uh, so Fabian, tell me a little more, what are the different sort of pollutants we will uh, we will see in everyday life and how do they affect uh, us as humans or the environment we live in? Yeah, Frederick, I think you, you put it already right. So there are, we distinguish greenhouse gases uh, that are responsible for climate change or the impacts of climate change. And these includes a number of chemical species, such as carbon dioxide, which is, of course, the most prominent one that is released by combusting fossil fuels, but also biogenic fuels. Um, then what what is less maybe less well-known are um, greenhouse gases like methane. Um, we know these, for example, in the form of you know, natural gas. Um, for example, when, when the, the Nord Stream 1 and 2 was, you know, were, were bombed in, in September last year, um, these pipelines leaked the natural gas, and that meant that all of that very beautiful methane leaked into the atmosphere. And then there are other mm, greenhouse gases that are relevant, nitrous oxide that comes from agricultural soils and fluorinated gases that are used in all kinds of chemical processes. So those form the, the greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide is obviously the, the most well known and the, maybe the most impactful one in our, um, in our world. And then we are also interested in other chemical species, um, such as sulfur dioxide or SO2, or nitrogen oxides like NOx, we call them NOx, particulate matter. I think many of you have heard about this before. These are um, particulate matter is, is responsible for, for health impacts, and we'll come back to that probably later today. Um, and volatile organic compounds. Um, these are chemical species that get emitted by various human activities and processes. Um, and then in the atmosphere, they typically react and form other species, for example, ozone. Um, and then these have um, an impact on human health and um, crops, for example. All right, thanks. Um, so when we look at those different pollutants, how close are those linked to energy generation or processes and how much of those could actually be reduced without really impacting the processes they are connected to? Yeah, that depends um, a little bit. So some of the CO2 gets directly emitted by energy consumption. So for example, when you drive a car, the gasoline that you have tanked before is actually directly converted into CO2 during the sort of the, the, the burning process or the combustion process. Um, in other cases, it's a little bit more indirect. So, for example, when you're using electricity, um, then that electricity needs to be produced. The electricity itself does not emit any CO2, but, um, but of course, the generation of electricity is generating CO2. And as the CO2 gets um, emitted, all these other pollutants also get co-emitted. We, we're speaking of co-emission. They kind of happen on the same... Uh, at the same time, because they also chemically react with, um, with uh, you know, in, the, in this combustion process. So sometimes there's a really direct link um, where just reducing the use of energy, like driving a car, can reduce pollutants. And in other cases, it's a little bit more indirect where reducing, let's say, electricity consumption is um, reducing 
the amount of electricity that gets produced and thereby these emissions get reduced as well. So now you took the example of the car that has to be fueled up. So what really struck me uh, was the idea that basically if you use, for instance, one kilogram of oil at the station and uh, you combust it, you'll get three kilograms of CO2. Or to put it in volumetric terms, if you fill up your, your tank with 50 liters, you'll create 50,000 liters of CO2 due to the low density of CO2. So that's quite striking. So um, we have now the example of oil, but looking at the different um, types of energy carriers, how does the CO2 content differ and how also do the pollutants, the local pollutants differ within different energy carriers? Yeah, I think this is a very important point. Energy is not equal to energy. Um, so we have certain fuel types that are being used, um, for example, coal or gas or renewable energy like solar and wind to produce electricity. And all of them have what well, we call it different contents of carbon um, and they have a different propensity to produce these other chemical species that are relevant. So in terms of CO2 and also of many of the other pollutants, coal among those is really the, the sort of the dirtiest one. So you get a lot, a lot more emissions from coal than say from gas um, or from yeah, renewables that you, that you don't really need to burn. So there's cl clearly a, a, a differentiation and that has of course then relevance for choosing where do you save energy um, and where do you most effectively save on, on the emissions. So when we talk about all those climate policies, there's always a lot of resistance. How well could one address the issue of global and local pollutants without really reducing the consumption? So are there avenues um, where we kind of keep this up but improve regulations on certain purities or on emission filters? How much of the, the issue could be addressed using other methods than just energy reduction and maybe move to renewables? Well, you're touching on an interesting um, point for the so-called local pollutants that I mentioned, species like SO2, NOx, um, and so on and so forth. There exist methods to filter them out to some extent. And these filters have been used a lot already, quite a bit in Europe, in almost all the sectors. So emissions are nowadays much, much lower than they could be or would be if no um, filters were in place. So the EU is pretty relatively tight on regulations to, to reduce these emissions. But there's a certain limit to this of how, of how much a filter can, can do. Um, we're talking about in some cases 80 to sometimes 90, 95 or even 99% of the emissions can be filtered out. But at some point, um, the only way to further reduce emissions is actually to reduce or to replace the combustion process by something else. Uh, in the case of coal-fired plants, that would be, for example, switching to renewables or to, to gas fuels, for example. Looking at the current situation, you bring up the, the regulations in the EU, which are rather tight. Uh, but during the, the current energy crisis, we also saw some drawbacks, for instance, in Germany, where lignite production or lignite energy generation uh, was ramped up again to face the, the shortcomings and also in Poland, for instance, uh, the government advised citizens to burn whatever they can find to, uh, for their residential heating. 
do you think the in this case is the regulations are not tight enough or is it just some kind of um, you know, leniency that will have to be accepted uh, in, the, in the current situation? I mean, personally, I, th I think it's it's a temporary uh, phenomenon. Um, clearly, in that particular situation, in the case of the gas so shortages, something needed to be done. Um, and we need to be very clear about the, the short-term ramifications versus the long-term uh, implications in the long-term strategy. Um, I think we may be well advised to, um, you know, to have a short-term response where we even take you know, where we even allow uh, lignite or coal-fired power plants to increase their production um, given the situation. But that will not sort of um, confuse us and, um, and and get us away from the overall target to reduce um, the combustion of these dirty fuels um, in the long run. So the EU has a strategy for reducing uh, greenhouse gases in the long run. Um, with very concrete steps. They also have a strategy for reducing air pollutants um, in the medium term, again, with very concrete steps. Um, and what we see here during, the, or what we have seen in the in the gas crisis, if you like, um, is a temporary deviation from that plan, but um, the EU will probably come back to that plan very soon. Then um, to give a little more perspective on all those rather abstract things in the sense that we can't see all those pollutants. Maybe tell us a little bit of uh, about the health impacts of those local pollutants in everyday life. So how do they affect um, our health? And yeah, how can we measure that basically? So Frederick, you were referring to especially the local pollutants like SO2, NOx and primary particulate matter that get emitted. They are emitted into the atmosphere, and then they chemically react and form particulate matter as a as a whole, so to speak. And this leads to concentrations of PM two point five or this fine particulate matter in ambient air, and this is what we breathe in. And this has then an impact on our health. So there's good and well documented um, evidence that as we breathe in PM two point five. There is a health effect, uh, and there's health effects in various dimensions. Um, PM 2.5, or this particular matter that we breathe in, is increasing, for example, the risk of strokes, um, is increasing the risks of heart disease, and is leading statistically also to, uh, to death, or can lead to death. And just to put this into perspective, um, the uh, European Environmental Agency has recently estimated that in Europe around still... 250,000 people die prematurely because they are exposed to, um, to PM 2.5. So this is a significant um, number worldwide. This number is somewhere between four to nine million. It depends a little bit on how the estimate gets done. Well, that's quite massive, to be honest. So maybe take us a little uh, to the process. How can we actually model those kind of things? Because you've been working on this for so long. And uh, I guess you've been working with very precise tools. And then you've also seen the other side of the range where uh, figures were really aggregated. So how can we assess things for greater, greater regions? And how can we also find uh, simplified versions to calculate things as we use, for instance, in the Mika tool? Yeah, thanks. 
Frederick, you're making an, uh, an important point, namely uh, the difference between just making sort of an, an, an assessment of what is the current situation um, versus figuring out what are the causes versus figuring out how this could develop into the future. And for the last two processes for figuring out what is the case and what may be the future, we need models, uh, computer models to simulate situations, to assess various alternatives. What we do here at YASA is to further develop a tool, which we call the GAINS model, which is a computer model that allows us to study the impacts of the use of different technologies for reducing um, the, these emissions. So from this abstract to the very concrete, so we really assess what would it help to install a particular filter um, into a power plant, for example, or what would it take if we introduced better catalytic converters into cars? What would it mean for air quality in Europe? How would it affect the number of deaths? How would it affect the number of hospitalizations that can be traced back to the exposure of, uh, to, to ambient air quality? And so what this model, how this model, for example, works is that we have a big database of all these technologies. We know how effective they are in reducing cons uh, emissions of pollutants. And we know also something about their, not only their technical specifications, but also about their costing specification, about how much the cost to use this. So what we can typically do in Europe is to figure out um, what's the cost benefit ratio um, between using different technologies, how effective are they, um, how effective are they in different countries at a, at a country level or at a local level or even at the European level. Yeah, so specifically for MECAT, um, what we do is we study individual energy efficiency measures um, and we are asking ourselves, if you took this measure, how much would it change your energy consumption in different sectors? For example, in industry, in house, in the household sector, in the building sector, in the transport sector, and so on. Um, and then we can pinpoint how much would that reduction in energy use or energy input into the system, how would that affect the emissions of individual pollutants? And that would reflect, or that does reflect, um, the individual legislations that apply and regulations that apply four different sectors. So for example, you can imagine that a large scale coal power, coal power plant, it's a big facility, that is subject to intense regulation by the EU. Um, there are a number of filters that are prescribed. Whereas um, if you're, for example, just running a stove at home um, where you burn wood to sort of heat your, you know, you have a fireplace or you have a stove for you know, cooking a simple meal, or uh, you have a, a, a hut in the mountains and, and you s sort of prepare your, your simple meal, then um, the emission standards are very different. And, and so we take all that into account. We have very good statistics on how many houses we have, how many cars we have, uh, how, how large they are, um, what kind of fuel they're using, what kind of um, combustion devices they have, and so on and so forth. Um, and with that, we can sort of simulate what would be the uh, what would be the the emissions of these different pollutants, and then we plug all that into an, an so-called atmospheric dispersion model. So we simulate how the emissions actually get translated into concentrations. How how do the emissions that come from the different sources 
actually end up in our lungs, if you like, or in the lungs of people in different countries. Um, and then we make a health assessment of what this would mean uh, for a population of so and so many million people living in different parts of the EU. So we can, you know, trace down pretty precisely um, how different measures um, can affect the health, statistically speaking, on, um, on different people. Well, Fabian, you just point out a, an interesting part, this kind of geographic effects that it has. So, of course, emittance, the local emittance have, it's a reason they're, they're called local emittance because they typically have more impact in the surroundings. So that I, found, I found that really interesting uh, when we compare global emittance where CO2, basically it doesn't really matter where uh, a certain amount of CO2 is emitted. It's all about the quantity in total and on Earth. And in contrast, uh, local pollutants, it's really important to see where are they emitted. So I think this is also very important for the Mika tool where we look at those three different levers, the EU level, the national level, but also the local level. And that really entices uh, local governments to act on this because you are responsible for the quality of the air of the town you're living in or the town you're governing. So and looking at those different levels, what kind of measures in terms of energy efficiency do you think are fruitful to address those situations in, on different levels? Yes, Frederick, I think you're absolutely right um, in that If you take local energy efficiency measures, there's a good chance that you can reduce the local pollution as well as the global pollution, if you like, the greenhouse gases as well as the local uh, pollutants. Um, one has to say, however, that there's a certain limit to that as well. A large part of our air quality is actually dependent on more than just the local emissions, um, but sort of is coming from a sort of region, what we call a regional background that takes into account or that is dependent on the emissions of your, your surrounding area. For a country, for a small country, this can be the neighboring countries. For a city, this is, of course, the, the, the area surrounding the city. So as much as city-level measures are important, if you think about, for example, um, restrictions of, of you know, uh, you know zo zonal restrictions for driving certain cars, um, this may be helping or shaving off certain peaks, um, the more sustainable solution, of course, is to, uh, is to cooperate with your neighboring constituencies and find common solutions rather than just fighting for your own local solutions. So I think the, the, the upshot from this is that this transboundary pollution that we see uh, when it comes to air pollution uh, really requires us to cooperate, to work together, um, yes, to start with local measures in the city, but then immediately to ask, uh, who are my neighbors? Who can I talk to? Um, where can we find synergies in doing something together? In general, of course, I'd like to classify sort of the, the measures that could be taken um, in sort of three categories, if you like. One is sort of the obvious energy savings, um, you know, in the context of, let's say, the gas crisis, the war situation, We've been asked to turn down our thermostats to actually save energy, to not to reduce the consumption so that actually somebody else could use it or that, that it actually stays in the, in the storage facilities for, for future use. So this is energy savings. What we are talking a lot in MECAD about is, the, is this energy efficiency. 
um, uh, issue where we actually provide the same service. So we're providing the same temperature. We don't turn down the thermostat, but we are actually trying to pr produce or provide that energy service in a more efficient way. For example, you know, by using very efficient fridges for refrigeration, for, in, for in improving the insulation of our houses, and so on and so forth. If we are an operator of a, a big facility, we naturally think about the efficiency of this facility because uh, consuming energy costs, costs money. And then there's a third dimension, and that is the issue of sufficiency. Um, this is related to how much we consume. So one way to dealing with um, increasing or reducing energy uh, consumption is to redirect consumption. So if you think about that you have always an option to choose your vacation uh, location, uh, you can go to, you know, to, the, to the next town to, to relax or you can fly to Bali. Um, that has different uh, implications on your energy consumption. And then finally, or the second aspect of this consumption issue and the sufficiency is, is you know, one can really think about, um, do we need all the stuff that we have at home, for example, or do we need to, uh, need to uh, consume the way that we, that we are currently consuming? Um, isn't it sufficient to do it, uh, to, to get our pleasure out of life um, in a different way? So finally, Fabian, after this insightful answer, I want to come back to something that is currently recurring in those discussions in Brussels on the Renewable Energy Directive, uh, the topic of biomass, because we already had exchanges on this, and currently biomass is accounted for as not having any uh, CO2 emissions. So what is your perspective on this? Can you maybe give some insights on what it actually means to burn solid biomass and um, how this accounting um, idea of uh, setting it zero came about. Sure. So the basic ideas or the basic understanding when we started to talk about biomass some time ago was that when we burn biomass in the long run, this will come from, I mean, the biomass will come from trees. And in the long run, these trees will regrow. And therefore, in the long run, burning biomass is kind of carbon neutral because it all the carbon that we put out into the atmosphere by burning it actually will be reabsorbed by trees in the long run. Now, that is a plausible argument um, and is theoretically sound, um, but it may not be sound in the long run and in the specific circumstances. And this is where the issue really, um, the, the, the issue produces some, some um, conflict and understanding of how this should be accounted. So in practice, often um, what happens is that uh, trees are not grown and cut down sustainably, um, and also the, the, the carbon is, is not immediately put back into trees, but it takes some time. Um, and we are often not in equilibrium, which means that often we are actually putting more carbon out into the atmosphere than we are actually um, taking out again through growing trees. And this, again, has partially, and if, you know, this is partially the reason, or the, the reason is partially because we're working on different timeframes. It takes just longer to get the carbon back. Um, but it also, um, the re one of the reasons is, is because certain things 
are not taken into account. So, for example, if you're cutting down a forest, you're not taking out the carbon in the form of the wood, um, but actually the soil is also losing carbon when you're cutting down trees and you're, you're, you're actually either converting this to cropland or you're growing trees again. So there is a lot more carbon involved than this simple equation, okay, take the wood out, burn it, and then the, the trees will grow, uh, grow again. Um, there are other factors that are important or can be important that have to do with um, fertilization. So um, uh, um, nitrous oxide may also be released or methane may be released in the process of um, just harvesting biomass for, for burning it. So what it means is that there is a lot of potential for overlooking important effects um, that, that will actually tilt the balance um, of the biomass accounting away from zero into positive emissions, which means carbon burning biomass is probably not carbon uh, neutral. And, and that's where the controversy really um, is, is, is you know, standing and, and continues to, to be fought. Well, Fabian, thanks a lot for all these insights. So we really saw the, the full coverage that these indicators or those kind of indicators can, uh, can cover in the sense of the, the global emissions from CO2, which affect climate change, but also the local emissions, which will have um, health impacts in our everyday lives. And uh, thanks a lot for all your answers to, to those questions. Yeah, thank you, Frederick. And to the audience, thanks for tuning in and helping us build a community of listeners that are as passionate about energy efficiency as we are. To engage with us and share your opinion after each episode, follow the MECAT project and continue discussions on Twitter at MECAT underscore EU or LinkedIn at MECAT-Multiple Impacts Calculation Tool. In our next episode, we'll continue to discuss the topic of multiple benefits, looking at how energy efficiency affects health in buildings and also affects energy poverty. So tune in again in three weeks to follow along. And until next time, we discuss how multiple benefits for energy efficiency affects you. Mm -hmm.